0: That's not good. Let me redo this. So, um, oh, we're just having all kinds of fun tonight. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited about tonight. I've been so excited about this sermon, um, this whole series that we've been going through, um, because I, I just believe with all my heart this, this is the greatest sermon ever ever, ever preached. This whole thing about the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus just speaking in ways that just blew everyone's mind as, as they were listening. And as you saw, they had been for so long just sitting and um, listening to the Pharisees teaching. And it just they kept adding stuff and adding stuff on them and all this stuff. And it just became such a heavy burden. And, and I love the idea that Jesus came and says, no, no, this is what it was always supposed to be. See, Jesus didn't come to start a whole new religion. He came to say, No, this is what it was always supposed to be. This is how a relationship was supposed to go and, and be. And so, if you're here a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about you know, the idea of honoring our commitment. What does it mean to be an honorable person in the eyes of God? And living that out and, and, and how that is a heart issue. And, and we, we kind of doubled down on that last week with the idea of purity being a heart issue. And, and, and the more I read and the more I study, and as I keep looking at this, it is all about the heart. It is not about the appearance which was so prevalent in that time that just the Pharisees said, Hey, you know, go out and just look really good. But it doesn't mean you have to actually live really, really good. And so that was a problem. And that is a problem in hypocrisy. And that is a huge issue. I talk to so many people so often about like coming to church or being a part of church. And they're like, I don't want to go to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. I'm like, you're absolutely right. <laughs> And, and we have room for one more. <laughs> I mean, because it is an issue. And it's this idea that we're losing trust in different things in different institutions. Because what we're doing is we're seeing people say one thing and then do something totally opposite. I don't, I don't know. You're not probably going to be able to see the words on this. But um, Gallup did a poll um, a couple of years ago about institutions that people kind of trust and and whether they feel... A great deal of trust or just quite a lot of trust. And, and they did this. And the very top one is the military. A lot of people, 42% and, and 30%, you know, said we have a lot of trust in our, in the military. And, and then it was small business. And then it's police. And, and I was really impressed that the church was up there this high, down for church or organized religion. We got a lot of trust in that. Um, the sad thing is, is 10 years ago, it was twice as much. And that it has it dropped. But you keep going up. <coughs> medical system. And, and then the presidency, only 16%. And the U.S. Supreme Court, even lower. Public schools, even lower. Banks, lower. Newspapers, 10. The criminal justice system. The very little tiny green at the bottom, that's Congress. <laughs> <laughs> of what people say, we just we don't trust. It. And, and it's this issue of integrity. It's this issue that people say one thing. But then their lives don't match up what they're saying or, or their actions don't match up what they're saying. And, and it's so sad that we've become a society of so much mistrust. And, and like I said, like five, ten years ago when, when they did this originally, all of those were doubled. And it is, it's just becoming less and less and less. And the more people look at it. And unfortunately, that, that's what happens because that's what we see on the news. You know, even though the news is way, way down there. You know, newspapers, television news is third from the bottom. <laughs> but but it, it's this idea that like, people say, like, hey, this is how I am. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to be. But, but then their life doesn't match it up, and, th- and there's disappointment. And this world is in so desperate need to see what Jesus actually looks like. This world is in such desperate need to see what it actually means to follow God. In fact, um, Chuck Swindoll says this. He says, few things are more infectious than a godly lifestyle. The people you rub shoulders with every day need that kind of challenge. Not prudish, not preachy, just crackerjack, clean living. Just honest to goodness, bone deep, non-hypocritical integrity. Everybody wants to see who Jesus is and is asking that question. And folks, that's the church. That's where they see. That's where they look at us. And so our lives have to get this whole thing down, this idea that my private life needs to be matching my public life. And really, that's so. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, and we're going to talk about this idea of integrity. And so, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew six, we're, <clears throat> we're going to be sitting in there as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have them. Take one, use it, put your name in it, and everything. But this whole idea of our private lives and our public lives mirror each other let's pray god we just thank you so much for the opportunity to come together again tonight um father i just thank you that um you have been dealing with my heart on so many of these things fathers i and i've just studied father and just the things i've learned god i god i i can't do your word justice (laughs) i i just really can't and so god tonight i just i ask again that you would just hide me and that you would be the one that would speak God, uh, that it would be your words. God, that you would just whisper into each of our hearts, God, how important it is to live a whole life that reflects you. God, it is our desire and our goal to bring you glory. Uh, that's, what, that's what you made us for. That's, what, that's why we're here. And so, God, tonight we ask that you would just move in our midst, that you would speak to us. God, as we take a hard look at uh, at our private and personal life, God, in the light of our public perception. And so, God, just move. Have your way, God. Whatever needs to happen tonight, let it happen, God. And just you receive all the glory. God, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to your word tonight. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing on Matthew 6, and we're on this idea. This week we're talking about this idea of integrity. And again, and I love how Jesus done has done... Just done this and it was amazing when I started thinking about this whole sermon series and just these virtues and everything and, and got kind of this list together and started looking through the sermon of how it's just it's moved from like this idea of first our relationship with God that's that's the Beatitudes of just how we're supposed to be what does it mean to actually honor our commitment to God and then this heart stuff that it all starts in the heart that it's not just about <coughs> excuse me it's not just about me saying stuff but it starts in the heart there. And then he just keeps kind of moving it farther and farther into like, okay, now if you deal with your heart, then it's going to start showing in real life. And that's really where integrity comes. And so tonight, I really want to talk about this idea of private equals public. Because the honest truth is, is if tonight you are giving a persona that is public and totally different than your private, it's going to exhaust you. It's like, it's like the old saying, you know, you know when you tell a lie, and then you have to tell another lie, and another lie, and, another, and it becomes exhausting. Uh, it's the same way with the way we live. If, if we are presenting something that's not who we really are, we're not going to be able to maintain it. We're not going to be able to do it. And so, so Matthew, he, he goes, but first, uh, there's a lot of definitions of integrity. And, and a lot of, when people say integrity, a lot of people think truthful. You know, just being truthful, being honest and everything. I like the idea that it's this idea of being whole, undivided. Um, It's from the same root that we get integer like a whole word that like there is nothing that separates. It's the same thing It's a whole person. And I'm I'm telling you right now, I I believe all my heart that you cannot be a whole person without knowing Jesus. I I just don't think that's possible because you we were created to be who God created us to be. And without knowing him, then we're always something missing. And so we're always divided and everything. But but Jesus starts this whole thing in, in verse one. With a warning, he says in verse one, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. And so the the very first thing that Jesus says, he gives kind of this warning of this, this idea that, listen, don't do this so that you look good in front of people. Don't don't do this just so that it, it, it looks like you're doing the right thing. Don't don't do it. And so it's a totally different idea of what he said back in chapter five. And so this, this isn't this idea about light chain because I know a lot of people that will come to me and say, my faith is a very personal, private faith. You know, it, it's for me. And so I don't want to push it on anybody. You know, I, I don't want to put it out there, but it's a personal, private faith. And stuff, and I don't think that's possible because if you jump back over one chapter in Matthew, we have this command in Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Two different things here that I just want to point out as we get out. The way we live our faith, if it's in front of people, to be seen by people, then it's useless. Jesus commands us for our light to shine so that people will glorify God. And, and so that, that's, that's the original idea here, that this whole idea of this light shining, that you live your faith out, and you have to live it out publicly. I don't see how you can keep the love of Christ and, and the grace and everything that God does bottled up inside. I, I just because it's so overwhelming at times there are moments where I'm sitting and I'm talking to people. Or I'm just reading my Bible or I'm praying or I'm talking and, and God's doing stuff. And it's just like, I got to tell everyone. You know, a few weeks ago when I had that meeting with the manager, and he's like, what can you do? Please minister to our people, everybody. And just even, uh, you know, Friday night when we we're there and him just talking about like, man, can you come and like meet with the youth? And can you do this? And he and just this outpouring of God just saying, listen, I'm opening a door for you. It wasn't like I went home and said, I'm not telling anybody. (laughs) Because you get excited about what God is doing. And so I don't see how anybody that says to me, like, it's a private faith. I'm like, then it's not much of a faith at all. If it's not flowing out. And so Jesus calls us to be light shiners. But it's not to do it so that other people see us. You know, I've made it a commitment in my life. And I'm not always good at it. But I, I, I keep striving that the, the only person that gets credit for the great things in my life is God. And, and I think that's what he's calling. And so Jesus does what he's been doing in this whole passage. He starts taking some very common things. And he says, let, let's bring some light to this. And let's see what this actually looks like. And so the very first thing he talks about is giving. Uh, and this idea of giving. So let, look at verse 2 uh, through verse 4. And Jesus says, so whenever you give to the poor. Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. First point real quick. Jesus automatically assumes that you're going to be giving. It's not like, hey, when you think about giving, it's this idea that you see a need and you see heart that you're going to be giving. And I just, you know, I want to make this very, very clear. Everything that we have is God. It's from God. It's for God. And he is gracious enough to let us manage it. But it's all his to begin with. And so often we we do this idea that like we, we give and we give. And again, it's this heart, this idea of the heart. He's like, you know, why are you giving? Because the Pharisees, you know, they would come out and be like, I'm clinging coins in the box. So everyone heard and just and like bah, 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 trumpets blaring like I just gave money. Ha <laughs> ha. And you get this idea like, oh, OK. <laughs> See, it, it, it's not about, the, we're assumed that we give, but the idea is our generosity is not measured by the audience. Our, our, gen, our generosity is measured by God. And I think God calls us all to be generous people. I th- I think God commands us and says, listen, I've given you so much that I-, I want you to give. And when you see needs and when you see hurt and you see things that you can take, I- I'm not saying go empty your bank accounts. And and like, hey, we we need more offering and all this stuff, because my God owns the cattle on a thousand hill. I need him to sell one or two and we'll be fine. And at the right time, he always does. But but our generosity, if it's an outward show, listen, if if. When you were driving down the road and you see that person on the side of the road and God just twinges your heart and says, listen, I'm going to buy that person a hamburger or, you know, I'm going to, I used to be a person that was like, you know, I'm not giving them any money. They're just going to give, go buy drugs, go buy alcohol or do something like that. And and God kind of grabbed me one time and said, is it your job to decide what they spend that money on? Or is it your job that I put in your heart to give them five dollars? See, the honest truth is that in our private life, if we're not generous in our private life where nobody's looking, we're not going to be generous in our public life. Not when it counts. There has to be a balance there. There has to be something that drives us when, when there's no other thing driving us recognition or anything just saying God you've just given me so much if it's my time if it's, if it's my resources if it's whatever God I'm going to give it but I'm going to give it so that you get the honor not me because the only one I want to please is you and you've already given me so much God and so you know every one of us can be generous in a way but it begins with this idea that it's in our heart I love that boy <laughs> I love that boy I love that boy. You know, I, I've had the privilege because we've been in ministry so long, and we got to be a part of, like, some big different types of ministries and and, and be on mission and stuff like that. And we work for Young Life. And in Young Life, you had to raise your money. And when we were area directors, worldwide, I knew some of the richest people that you would ever, like, dream of. Like, they just didn't, like, they literally lit their fireplace. Like, I'm just, that's how I light my fire. I mean, they just didn't know what to do with their money. And they would always come to me like, "I'm going to give you a check, but can you put a plaque in your office that I gave you?" And I'm like, "Okay, well, whatever." And I also knew people that didn't have anything. That says, "Listen, I just want to give you all what we can, and we just want to be a part of this." See, g- generosity isn't the amount; it's it's the heart. And again, a person that's living whole thinks about this thing when nobody else is looking, because it's not it's not the world we want to please; it's it's God. I, I Listen, I believe we're blessed to bless others. And in God's economy, it all works out in, in the end. And, and so he moves from this, and so that that's a big deal. And everyone's probably sitting there going, wow, you just really knocked the Pharisees. He's like, I'm not done yet. Next is prayer. Verse 5 through 8. Jesus goes on, and whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You know who he's talking about, by the way. The religious leaders, the people that are standing on the backside just with their arms crossed, just listening there. I can imagine. I actually spoke at a school in Sarasota one time at a chapel. It was a Mennonite school. If you don't even think about Mennonites, they're very pacifist. I'm an army veteran. And so I'm telling stories about blowing up stuff. And there's an entire row of teachers in the back and principals just staring at me like this, just going like that. And afterwards, like, did you know we're Mennonite? I'm like, no. I guess you're never asking me back again. <laughs> Thank you. But I can just imagine there's these people standing in the back, these religious leaders, just like, is he talking about you? Is he, talk, is he talking about us? And that's exactly what Jesus says. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask them. It is this so again, this whole idea of what is my prayer life like? I mean and, and the question is is are you praying or are you performing? And, and and there's a huge difference. And, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about, more about prayer towards the end of the, the message. But I, I just want to hit this a little bit because if you don't have a prayer life, I'm going to tell you something. You don't have a faith life. Now, I'm, I'm not a great prayer, you know, I just, it's not my strength. I'm, I'm the kind of guy like, let's, uh, let, me, let me say what I need to say, and then God, you just deal with the rest, okay? <laughs> That's good. My wife is an amazing prayer. I mean, we sit there, and we, she prays, and she prays, and like the spirit moves, and like the wind blows through, and flames come down. I mean, it's beautiful. And we tease her, and we're just like, oh my gosh, are you going to stop yet? But I mean, but she just, she loves to pray. That's her heart and everything. But she prays like that when nobody's looking. We we were we were missionaries in Sicily and we were we were at um, a chapel. If you know anything about the military with the chapel, you have basically Catholic, Protestant and Jewish and Protestant is everybody that's not Catholic and Jewish. You want to take off a Mormon, tell them you're they're Protestant because they hated that. But they're like, yeah, we're just going to throw you in there, too. And so I had bosses over me. I was in charge of youth ministry for American military teens living overseas. And all my bosses were two Catholic priests. I had this like full gospel guy, an evangelical free guy, the Reformed Church of Nebraska guy. Uh, and just, I mean, just everyone. So you never knew what was going to happen. But there was one chaplain. And he was a, he was just a down-to-earth guy when you talked to him. You just talked to him. He's like, hey, how's it going? You know, it's just good. He's really intelligent. But he would get up when it was his turn to preach he would get up and when he prayed all of a sudden it changed it was like oh Lord thou art the greatest Lord of all and his voice got deeper and it was like this beautiful dramatic prayer and I'm just sitting there going who is that and he would love when people came up to him and said hey great prayer that was a great prayer and if people didn't say he would ask like what did you think of the prayer because the idea is like are we praying or are we performing See, that's what the Pharisees would do. They would get out on the street corners. and Listen, public prayer is important. But if you don't have a private prayer life, your public prayers are going to reach the ceiling. We have to be a praying people. It it is our communication with God. It is the one thing that the enemy cannot do anything about. I I mean, the power of prayer is limitless. It is timeless. It is... It, it, you can pray here for someone in China. and You don't ever have to meet them. And you can pray for them. You can pray for anybody in the world. And it, that prayers can reach them. It, it, it can happen today. It can happen tomorrow. Prayer is powerful. And there's nothing the enemy is more afraid of than a church that prays. And there's nothing more devastating to the enemy of our God than people that pray. And, and listen, it's important. If, if you're not spending time in prayer... And your your faith is going to struggle, and it's got to be it's got to be in a private time. It's it's got to be an integral part of your day. I love it. One of my favorite Martin Luther, the great reformer. One of my favorite quotes from him. He says, "Work, work from morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer." I mean, man, what would happen if we got hearts like that, saying, "Man, I have got a lot to do today. I've got just meeting after meeting." So. Um, I better take at least the first hour to pray before I even start. Because if we're doing that in our private life, man, our public life is going to be amazing for God. We're going to, we're going to pray both because it's, it's a whole picture. And so Jesus, again, he's just saying this idea like, listen, when you pray, the only one that needs to hear you is God. And guess what? He already knows what you need. You don't have to keep like babbling and going on and on and on and trying to convince him you you're not going to convince God of anything he already knows but you need to have a private prayer time. You have to have a just it's got to be part of your day. Listen, if we don't pray as a church, we are no longer the church. Because we can hang signs all over this place and put and give personal invites to every person that lives in four corners. But unless God draws them and unless God works on people's hearts, nobody's going to come into these doors and no lives are going to be changed. It's God. And so that prayer life is integral to that. And if we're doing it privately, it'll show in our public life. It'll show he, he goes on. He did. He, he mentions another one that we don't really talk about a lot as Baptists because we love potluck. Uh-huh. <laughs> but this idea of fasting. And and. And he, 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 here's what he says in verse 16, he says, listen, when, whenever you fast, don't be sad faced like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive. So their fasting is obvious to people. I assure you, they got their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you don't show your fasting to people, but to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The whole idea of fasting is this idea is that I'm going to give up something to understand how much God means to me, how much I need him. You know, a lot of times it may be food. And so those little hunger pains we feel reminds us like, man, God, you just. I'm so glad that you're the provider of everything I need. And, 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 and it's this idea that it focuses. It could be like a purging process of just, God, I, w- I want to get rid of it. We do it at Lent and stuff. We, we give up something for 40 days at Lent and say, you know, to help us focus on coming on Christ. And it's this beautiful discipline. That we really don't talk to you. And I'm going to tell you, I, there's going to come a time this summer that I'm going to call this church and say, listen, we need to do a fast because we're going into our second year. And there are so many things that we need to decide about, like structure and, and budgets and elders, that I want to make sure that we're unified. And the best way unified is to get rid of the distractions and say, God, what, what is it that you want us to do? And the best way to do that is when we sacrifice something that we think we need. And say, God, remind us how much we need you. And that that's what fasting is. But what would happen in here is the people would fast. And they had fast all the time. It was just a normal part of their religious experience. But the Pharisees or people would fast. And they would go around fasting and be like that person. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. Oh. <sighs> Are you okay? No, I'm fasting. It's spiritual. <sighs> Again. Man, if it's not something that we do in our private life, if it's not something that's integral part of our private life, it's it's not going to show up for real in our public life. And and the idea that we put on these facades that we are super spiritual we're super this and it's not matching, it's going to get found out. You can only hold that for so long. In fact, I love this. I've been thinking about this all week. Private disciplines equal public victories. In our faith, it's the disciplines that we hold on to on a day to day basis that we come through. And I'm not saying be perfect and like, man, I don't ever miss a Bible, like a Bible study. I don't ever miss a time when the church is open. I don't ever miss like a prayer time or or every morning I get up and the very first thing I do is run to my prayer closet. And I pray, you know, it's I'm not I'm not saying that I'm I'm, it's hard. I understand. That's why it's called discipline. But when these become real to us, when our, when our faith becomes real to us and we're like, this is important because this is what Jesus did. He took time to pray. He took time to get away. He took time to focus on God and, and the Father. And, and he, he lived this out. But it was those private times that gave him the strength to be that public figure. I believe that. Why do you think so often you hear that Jesus says, send the crowd away. I'm going up on the mountain. I'm going to pray for the next till morning. I mean, if you think we have pressure in our lives, think about the creator of the world knowing that he was going to die for a creation that really didn't care for him. And the pressure every single day. And so he needed it. So if he needed it, the son of God, the creator, God himself in flesh, how much more do we need these disciplines? And and the truth is, is if we're not living it, if, if we're not doing it in our own time, if we're not like setting aside time saying, listen, this is how I'm going to live when nobody's looking. There won't be any public victories. This is why so many people look at the church today and say, wow, it's just full of hypocrites. And, and you've met those people and you've seen those people that show up to church and they're they're holy and they're pious and they're beautiful and they're dressed really nice. And then they go out and they're cheating on their taxes and they're cheating on their spouses and they're doing anything they want to do, but man, as long as I'm good on Sunday, that that's not whole. That causes that's gotta cause conflict in us. That that that's that's gotta cause all kind of issues. And so I, I think Jesus gives us a little bit of a secret: to how do we actually live this life of integrity? How do we live this whole life? in both private and public. Um, And and I'm going to tell you, your private time of God will show in your public worship. If, if you were spending time with God in a prior time, you're going to look forward to doing it in a group of people. And, and listen, I know this, too. There's, there's this, this whole kind of trend right now. And it's been for years that this, uh, like God, our faith is an individual faith. And, and, and we, you know, I live my faith by myself. And you know, I don't need to go to church. It's on TV. I don't need to do that. I, I just live my faith because it's my faith. And here's what I believe with all my heart studying scripture is that God saves us individually, but he calls us as a people. Nowhere in scripture does it show that God is calling just one individual at one time. It's always a people. If you look at the entire nation of Israel was created. The entire idea of the church coming together. I, I love When you, you ever hear the church gathering, like in Hebrews, it said, let us gather. Let us encourage one another. Let us. It's always plural. It's the idea that God has called a people that we, we come together. And so if we are taking care of our business in our private time, man, if we are loving God and just growing into him, imagine the blessing we're going to be to everybody else in community. Do you imagine an entire church that says, man, I'm going to spend... Every day praying for my community and for people and just be committed to that. What the impact that would do not only in the church but in the community. See, because what we do in private is going to show in public. We're always going to get found out. We're always in. And so I think Jesus gives us kind of this, this picture. And, and it goes back to starting with this idea of prayer. If, if you jump back up um, to verse 9. This is the Lord's prayer. And it's actually not the Lord's prayer. It's our prayer. I love, and Luke, the disciples actually said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? Jesus says, okay, when you pray, here's here's a model. And it's not, I mean, if you want, you can pray this word for word every single night. And it's powerful that way. But it's this idea. (coughs) It's not a ritual, but it's this idea. Like, here are the elements of what prayer should look like in in your relationship as you talk to the Father. And so he says in verse 9, therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. And and so you get this picture of like this is what prayer looks like. And it's actually really simple. And I used to just tell people, like, prayer is just talking to God. It's not. It's also listening. There are certain things that I think are imperative in our prayer life. And like I said, if we're doing this on a private basis, if we're doing this personally and quietly on our own, then God is going to use us to do greater things in the group and in the community. and everything. But um, there's a great book out. It's a really simple read. It's by Max Lucado. I love Max Lucado because I can read it like in a day and stuff. They're just really simple reads and everything. It's called Before Amen. And he, and he takes, if you get, go get the book, it's really, really good. But it basically breaks down this idea that prayer should just look something like this. We start with God, we talk about us, we talk about them, and then we go back to God. And we finish with God. We acknowledge that who God is, our Father, our good Father. I mean, this, this, was, this was crazy. You never saw in the Old Testament them call God Father. Jesus brings a whole new dynamic into this relationship that we have with God. It says, our Father who is in heaven, your name. It, it's your name that's important. It's your name. And so taking time just to acknowledge who, who God is and that we're not. Taking time just to pray and say, God, you're amazing and you're awesome. And I don't even have words to describe who you are. And it's it just sometimes it, I just I start praying. My wife's like, Tony, did you go to sleep? I'm like, no, I don't know what to say. He's so big. <laughs> but it's that idea. And then going to like, okay, God, help us. Heal us. You know, I, I, I love this. He says, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then give us today our daily bread. God, give us what we need today to serve you, to honor you. Here's what I want, but makes, sh- I know you're going to give me what I need. And God, help those that are around me. Because it's really cool that once we start talking to God and we start praying, we start getting the heart of God. And when we get the heart of God, we get the eyes of God. And when we get the eyes of God, we see our communities and we see the world the way he sees it. As broken and in need of a Savior. And you can't help but to drive by or walk by and start praying for those around you. God, there's there's so much hurting in the world. Use us. Help us. Help them. And, And then he goes, you know, and forgive us. Forgive us our sins, cleanse us, make us make us new, make us right. And, but then it ends for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God. Again, this is all about you and on you. And so prayer becomes this beautiful relationship, this beautiful idea that I can talk to God. Hebrews says we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can and make our make our request known and we can we can talk to him. We can say, God, this is what's on my heart. And by the way, God is never surprised by your heart. It's not like God ever sits there and goes, whoa, where did that come from? You know? He, he already knows, but if we're not doing it privately, guys, we're never going to do it publicly. And this is the problem with so many churches and so many people that claim to be in faith right now, is that it's all about the public persona, but we're not doing anything. When nobody's looking, and so he says, "Pray. S- start it about the Father. Talk about yourself. Talk about the others, and then end it with God, and be thankful for that." And then he gives one more thing, and it's the idea of freedom and forgiving. L- look at verse verse nine. I'm, I'm sorry. Look at verse fourteen. It says, "For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing." And that's a hard statement, and that's a hard thing to kind of like hear. And says, "Wait a minute, God says, you know, whatever I do, if I come to Him and I ask for forgiveness and and stuff, He's faithful and just to forgive me. That's in His Word. I understand. But here is what I've I've come to understand and come to know. It, it's it's this idea that if I I'm not, if I'm not able to give forgiveness, I'm incapable of receiving it. And, and I never knew that until my wife made me deal with something. My father um, left when I was two years old. He was abusive. He went out of his mind back back then. They gave him shock treatment. He lost his memory and everything. I didn't know anything about my father. In fact, I didn't find out until I was 13 that the guy raising me was not my natural father. And I just became angry at a thir- as a 13-year-old saying, man, I'm just so angry. Why did he leave? I was the youngest. It must have been my fault. And I went through all those stages and everything. But we didn't talk about it. We are a good Southern family, and you don't talk about your dirty laundry. <laughs> you just set it aside and hope someone cleans it one day. <laughs> but we don't talk about it. And so, but my wife would ask her. We start having kids. She's like, you know, you should, you should look up your father. I'm like, we don't talk about that. 30 years old he, he doesn't he doesn't have anything to do with me i'm not going to do anything with him no let's forget that and it just kept going and so every so often she just bring it up again and it became like a fight she'd bring it up. i was like don't you bring that up again i'm not going to talk to him i have nothing to do with it and i was angry and i was mad and everything and it was affecting everything and that's what happens when unforgiveness sits in our hearts man we can't live a faithful life because it starts affecting every other relationship and it was ruining our marriage and I remember. I remember. We lived in Germany, and she, she went somewhere. And if you don't know anything about Germany, they don't have doorknobs on the outside. I don't know why, but it's just a handle, and you have to use a key. And I something happened. I heard something. I went outside, and the door closed. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> And so I'm stuck outside. I'm like, God, what is all this? And all the conversations, God just kind of flooded. He's like, hey, I want to get your attention. Remember all these things your wife said to you? I'm like, God, I don't want to deal with this right now, God. Just let me back at my house. It's cold, and I don't want to stand out. Oh. And he's like, you need to deal with this. And literally standing out there, I said, oh, this is ruining everything. Okay, God, I, I forgive. I just, I, I forgive him. I don't know if I'll ever meet him, but I just need to let this go. And there was just a peace that came on and we had a cat that knew how to open the door and at that moment the cat opened the door for me. <laughs> it's like God was like holding the cat back saying not yet. Wait, okay, now let him in. <laughs> but what was amazing is that I understood now what God forgave me for the first time. Really understood what forgiveness was, and there was a freedom that came with that. And what was really cool is we got back from Germany, and my mom calls and says, "Hey, your dad called. He's not doing real well. He's trying to get a hold of you guys." And I got to spend ten years with a father that was supposed to be dead, like in a year, and build a relationship with him, and and, and be able to say, "I forgive you." And it was beautiful, and it saved our marriage. But th- this is the idea: if, if we can't forgive. I don't think we can experience forgiveness. I I think we can be forgiven. I just don't think we can experience it. And that means bondage. And and so all these things, guys, all these things are disciplines that happen when nobody's looking. And and I believe with all my heart tonight that that there's a world out there waiting to see who Jesus really is. And the only way he's going to see it is if we are living it in our private and our public life. That we are whole and we are complete. And again, the only way that happens is if we know Jesus. You can't be whole if you don't know who you're supposed to be in the first place. And the only way you know that is when you know God and he starts shaping you and making you into that person. And so it's this idea that no matter what, I'm going to live it privately and it's going to show in my public life. And I, I'm going to have a private discipline. And I'm, I'm going to spend time with God. And when, when I pray and when I give and when I fast and when I do stuff, it's going to be because God wants to show me something for his glory. And it's going to take care of all that. And when that happens in my public life, I can stand boldly and say, I believe in Jesus. And there's nothing that you can say that's going to change my mind. And there's nothing you can do to me because my God has me. My dad is bigger than everybody else's dad. And I can say that because I know that in my private life. And so I can say it boldly in my public life. It's this beautiful. When I have people come up to me and say, hey, I want to be in ministry and stuff. Or We have leaders. There's always a verse. I say, I want you to memorize this verse. I, I, I I want you to just look at it and stuff. And, um. You, don't, you do not have to look it up. I've got to put it on the screen. It's Titus 2, 7 and 8. And it says, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that the opponent will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. If we are living a private life full of faith and we are following these disciplines and we're living it like that, there's nothing that the people are going to be able to say about us in the public realm. And unfortunately, that's what's been happening. Is the private misconducts, the private failures of pastors and churches and people in leadership positions have become the public forum. I mean, it's election year. Just watch the commercials. Because if you notice, every commercial is about the private conversation, the private thing. If we live in such a way that we're like, man, I want. To live with integrity and dignity, and you know everything I do, I'm going to do for God's glory. No one will have anything bad to say about us. That's what, that's why I tell my leaders. I said, listen, whenever you have a decision, you know you, you're going to hang out with a student, or you're going to do something, or you're going to go be with somebody. Just ask yourself this question: Can anybody look at that and say, "Ooh, that's bad"? Because if you guard yourself in such a way where you do stuff where nobody can say, now, there are always going to be complainers. Okay, don't, don't get me wrong. There's always going to be people looking for something wrong. And you just smile at those people and just say, God bless you, <laughs> and walk away. <laughs> but we can solve so many issues in our world today if we just had our private life. Match our public life. Sam Storms the author says this. Integrity does not mean sinless. But it does describe a person. Who by God's grace. Sinless. If you allow God to do his work. The Holy Spirit to do his work. In your private life. And you you are working through this stuff. Like I said it doesn't mean. You're going to be perfect. But man you're working. And you're being honest. And you are just. Wrestling with God and saying, God, just make me into that person. I think It's going to show. And it is my heart and it is my prayer that we become a church that people look at and say, man, I can't think of anything wrong with that church. Those people just, man, they're out there, they're serving, they're doing... I mean, there's only a handful of them, but man, they're doing more stuff than some churches that have thousands of people. I mean, they just keep going and they just keep, man, that's, I just can't think of anything wrong. That only happens if our private life matches our our public life. Listen, if you want the praise of men, that's easy. Praise of men is easy to get just do something kind of crazy and obnoxious and put it on YouTube and, you know, you just put a Chewbacca mask on <laughs> and, and, and laugh for laugh for 20 minutes long and you'll be on national television. That doesn't change any lives in an eternity. That doesn't mean anything. You live a life privately where you are following God and saying God I want to be a person of integrity I want my private life to match my public life I want my kids to look at me and say that's the kind of man that's the kind of woman I want to be I want other people to say man there's something happening there because this is real that only happens when our private life matches our public life I'll just remind you in closing that the hardest people Jesus was about and the Hardest words that he had for anybody was for the religious people that did it all for the show of everybody else. But when it came down to it, you didn't go to your local Pharisee and saying, I'm struggling. Will you pray with me? If you're a person of prayer and discipline in your private life, you're going to notice people just come up to you. All of a sudden, God's just going to bring them to you and say, this is one of mine. That's integrity. That's living whole. So so tonight, I don't, I don't know where you are. Maybe, maybe tonight you, you struggle with some of these areas and say, like, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not, my, my religion is private and everything, and it can't be. Maybe we need to pray, God, give us boldness. Give us opportunity. And let it start in my closet. Let it start with you. I love the greatest prayer I've ever heard anybody pray. I say, God, bring revival, but let it start with me. And maybe that's what we need to pray for us. Because I believe if God's church, the revival breaks up down here of God's church, the next step is a great awakening where people start seeing Jesus and lives are changed. And so wherever you're at tonight, if you're struggling with something, just give it to God. And God, be honest. He already knows. And just say, I struggle with this. God, I'm struggling with my prayer life. Maybe you need to do a fast. Maybe you need to say, hey, you know, God, I need to remove this out of my life so that I can refocus on you and remember how great you are and, and fast something. And maybe you need to look at your generosity and say, you know, God, I don't have any money, but I have plenty of time. Or God, I have this, I have this, and all this stuff you've given me and it's already yours anyway. So God, help me to be generous with it wherever I go. I can tell you, I am it, I brag about you guys. I call my other church planner friends and I'm, Pastors of big churches, and I said, let, let me tell you something. We, our little church provided 17 days of food because all they did was check in at Facebook, and they're faithful, and they're showing up, and and they're people that will show up. I, actually, you show up every Tuesday for Bible study, and I'm sitting here going, we're going to have Bible study if it's just me and Roxy or whatever, and Dave show, but you guys are faithful, and you're showing up, and I believe God's going to honor that. But I also know it's going to get hard, and there are struggles, and there are things, and I know this. And if you're not In the private time of God. Man you are not going to make it through the public times of trial. So whatever you're struggling with tonight. Say God I'm just going to give it to you. Make me that person. So that when people see us. People see me. They see you. And we'll trust that you will take that. And do something beyond anything that we can imagine. Listen I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask. Tim come up and just play and just take a little time again tonight you know there's a reason we put curtains up we made a little war room if you need to go in there and write a prayer request like I said I go in and pray if you want to take communion you mean. if you want to worship through tithes and offerings or if you just want to sit there and just say God what's this look like what's this look like in my life where are the areas that I need to shore up in my private life so that God I can give you glory in my public life Where's integrity fighting? Where am I struggling? Where am I battling, God? And let you take that and you do the work. And let's see what happens. Let's see what happens in four corners in the rest of the world. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much again.